How far the miracle of the child's birth would strike the husband, and how far the mother herself believed in it, must have depended so much on the views then current of the first miracle-maker, Moses, that I have felt justified in interweaving the story of Moses with that of the Shunammite, and so settled both troublesome problems, at least to my own satisfaction. At the time of Elisha's encounter with the Shunammite, the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, though their graves were still pointed out, were already shadowy legends. David, Solomon, and Samuel were merely heroes of the day before yesterday. But Moses was neither too distant nor too near in history for veneration. He played as dominant a part in Jewish religion as Jesus Christ has played in our era, and was so far acknowledged the prime architect of the faith that, at a somewhat later date, for fear it seems of a Moses cult actually superseding the worship of the tribal god, good king Hezekiah was forced to destroy the brazen serpent kept in the temple to commemorate the feats of wonder which Moses had done in the wilderness. The inner history of Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh and Miriam and the rest, and particularly a satisfactory account of Moses' death, would have been as exciting for the Shunammite to hear as the history of the crucifixion and ascension would be to an intelligent churchwoman today, if she happened on an authentic account of these events, independent of the Gospels. The Shunammite was strong-minded, and that she could be sceptical enough when her interests were threatened, her behaviour on Mount Carmel proves. But she was certainly a morally-minded woman, and well-disposed towards Jah. What first drew my attention to the problem of Moses' death was a light-hearted, rationalistic correspondence about the death of Aaron between Erwan Butler and his friend Miss Savage, who regarded it as a tribal sacrifice, and a rather shallow comment by Butler that when Michael and the adversary disputed about the body of Moses, he, Butler, could not see any possible justification for so foolish a brawl. I was led to consider both the verse in the Epistle of Jude recording this strange dispute, and the accounts given in the Pentateuch of the deaths of Aaron and Moses. After many changes of opinion, the most reasonable explanation of the encounter seemed to me that the adversary, first champion of individual liberty, or from Jar's point of view of overweening presumption, was taunting Michael with the shortcomings of the prophet who had first systemized the worship of Jah. He suggested as the true explanation of the disappearance of Moses' body from Pisgah that, not having sufficient resolution to die according to the word of his God, Moses had secretly returned to the desert and ended his days in comfort with the Jethro household. Nay, he may even have returned to Egypt and the cool colonnades of the College of Priests at Heliopolis. Michael, says Jude, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee, thereby making it a more official matter than a personal dispute between Lucifer and himself, and at the same time avoiding the repercussion of the curse he had been minded to utter. For so in Irish legend, the blessed Saint Morlene also refused to curse the devil when the devil himself invited him to do so, saying that a curse would recoil on his own head. St. Peter, 
in his second epistle, comments on Michael's sagacity in this matter. Compared with them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. These, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not. While they promise liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. If we may take Jade's allegory seriously, and why not, this question of Lucifer's where was Moses when the glory of Pisgah faded was apparently the casus belli of the All Saints' Day battle, in which Michael defeated Lucifer. And this same question, much debated by medieval theologians, is still bandied as an answerless riddle in all well-conductedness.